The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. It's week 13. We have alternatively said, I can't believe it's already week 13. And, oh my God, I can't believe the season has taken this long. It has flown by, but at the same time, I think we all have an amount of trepidation given what we went through and what the Ravens more directly experienced and endured last week, that you never know when things are going to go sideways, and it's any given moment away that we find out there's another outbreak. But for now, all games appear to be on track. No indications of any serious problems with any of the teams. The post-Thanksgiving Problems have not yet arisen, not out of the woods yet, both nationally and within the National Football League. But it feels like there's reason for some short-term optimism. Longer term, we just have to wait and see. Yeah, Mike, we're coming off the longest week in NFL history, and it just seemed like the week that wouldn't end. And this one's going to be pretty long, too, with the extra games on the back end. But uh, it does. It, uh, you know, they're still crossing their fingers that things are going to be good the rest of the way. But I'm surprised we haven't had more positives this week. You know, we went on the conference call, and and I don't know what the numbers are since Wednesday, but Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, it was two players, one player, one player. So we had four total players the first three days of the week. And I thought coming off Thanksgiving, we might have more than that. So it seems like guys did the right thing on the break, and that's good. Didn't have the big family gatherings and all those sorts of things. And uh, hopefully we can get through the rest of the season with uh, only minimal postponements because you have to figure we're going to have something along the way. And I think an element of luck involved, and I will never reject the opportunity for just good old-fashioned fortuity. The NFL, to its credit, constantly looking to tweak, to revise, to change the protocols in order to react to the way that the pandemic is unfolding. And for the first time, we've seen the NFL make a change on a rule that it previously had put in place. This is the 62-player limit for game days. It started as a reduction of the travel party, and the thinking was if we're going to have the road team down to 62 players to have competitive balance, the home team can only have 62 players present at the games. And I was told last week that there's a problem with this potentially when you start forcing teams to leave guys behind then they potentially end up in situations where they're exposed to the virus. There's an argument to be made. It's better to have them with the team. It reduces their risk of exposure and the risk of an outbreak. So the NFL, to its credit, you know, one of the worst things you can do if you make a mistake is double down. The NFL reversing course and saying, we're not going to continue with the 62-player limit. They recognize there's value in having those players with the team in the team hotel. That's one of the requirements. You have to be at the team hotel the night before the game to be at the game the next day. This is just one less opportunity, typically on a Saturday night, for a guy to be doing something that could get him exposed to the virus, Shereen. Yeah, absolutely, Mike. And the other thing it does also is give teams more flexibility. It's up to them how many players they travel with. And if they want to travel with however many, then they'll have those options available to them 
uh, 90 minutes before the game starts. So I think it's a great thing. I think it's a great change. We've seen a lot of these moves by the NFL this season because they've had to show flexibility because they didn't know what this season was going to entail. And so they've made moves based on what they've learned about the virus moving forward. And I think that's good. I'm with you. You you can't just sit here and say, well, we're going to continue with these rules because these are the rules we put in place at the start of the season. This isn't a normal season. You have to be flexible and they've done that and kudos to the NFL and If they get through this thing, Mike, without a week 18, I think we're all going to be amazed, but we certainly applaud the efforts they've done to get through this season. And one thing they're willing to do is make changes, even though it's possible for some to say, why didn't you do it sooner? Why didn't you do it sooner? You should have done it sooner. If you would have done it sooner, you wouldn't have had that outbreak or this problem or that problem. And I say that because the other change that was communicated to the teams in a memo dated December 3, from now on, The two days after a game, whenever the game is, if it's Monday game, Tuesday, Wednesday, if it's Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, et cetera, two days after a game, facility is dramatically restricted to access. Coaches can be in their own offices. They can't meet. There can be no meetings. Players can come in for treatment and exercise, but there are limits on how many of them can gather and where they can gather. They always have to be in a place where there are surveillance cameras, so there can be monitoring of whether or not the social distancing and the mask wearing is respected. But this is an outgrowth of the measures that were put in place this week. Monday, Tuesday, all facilities shut down because of the concern that guys were around others over the Thanksgiving holiday. I think the NFL realized, hey, this is a pretty good deal. I mean, the first two days of the week after a game are the slowest. Let's go ahead and keep everyone out. Do everything virtually. You don't need to be in the facility. Let's give the facility a breather. And then we still do the testing in between. You can pick off some positives that way before they ever get back in the building. That's smart. And it should have been done sooner, but it's okay that they're doing it now. Yeah, Mike, and at this point in the year, let's be clear about this too. Normally, this time of year, a lot of teams do this. They don't have players come in on Monday and Tuesday just because they're worn down at this point in the season. They're trying to keep them fresh. Playoff teams are trying to keep their players fresh. So they give them Monday and Tuesday off unless they need medical attention in the training room. They're not at the facility anyway normally. Tons of teams do that. And so this was a good time of year to do it. I think it's smart for them to do it. And it just avoids contact between players, among players, uh, for two more days and, and really limits that down. They're doing what they can. You still need practice time, obviously, so they've got to get in there and practice. They can't do this every day of the week. But I think this is really smart. It still gives you on a normal work day, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday in the building to practice and do what you need to, you need to do within those four days. And these are all things that the NFL needs to be doing if there isn't going to be a home market bubble and guys will be going out into the community every day when they're done at the facility as the numbers go up and we see it all the time. We've become numb to it. We're desensitized to it. The numbers no longer affect us. They should. It should be horrifying when you put in perspective the number of deaths on a daily basis. But it's that slow burn. It's the the frog in the boiling pot that is going up one degree gradually, gradually. We really have gotten to a point where we say 2,800 dead. I mean, it doesn't horrify us the way that it should. And that is indicative of the way that this thing is spreading and the way that people are going about their lives and the NFL trying to get through the remainder of the season, knowing that guys are going out into that 
every day. And so these restrictions, these measures, these efforts, all aimed at checking every box. 256 boxes. They want to check every one. They've gotten through 12 weeks with some postponements, but they've gotten all the games that were on the schedule for 12 weeks done. Five weeks left, and then comes the postseason. Now, we know the 49ers will be in Arizona for at least their next two home games, maybe beyond, because of an order in Santa Clara County preventing the 49ers from playing in their stadium. The Chargers and the Rams now are on notice of the possibility that Los Angeles County eventually will fall within parameters that justify a stringent stay-at-home order that potentially would keep the Chargers and the Rams from playing in their home stadium. It ties into the number of ICU beds, and the order was passed earlier this week. Here's Sean McVay, the Rams coach, from yesterday on the question of whether he's heard about the possibility that the Rams won't be able to play at SoFi Stadium. Have not. No, have, haven't heard anything of that nature, Lindsay. Um, so I think uh, you would probably know as soon as I do if, if anything was affected, but we know uh, we're focused on the Cardinals and, and uh, don't anticipate that to be an issue with uh, next week's game, if that's what you're alluding to as well. You know, I think I'm going to need some Dramamine or something if they're going to keep using these moving backgrounds. It started with Roger Goodell at halftime <laughs> of the Ravens-Steelers game where that background was moving on this tilted 3D thing that was mesmerizing. And now I don't know what was going on behind Sean McVay, but seriously, I got a little woozy during that. <laughs> Yeah, no doubt, Mike. And and it's funny to see all these different coaches at their homes and then you see them in their facility at different places in the facility. We've seen some some pretty good backgrounds, but it's going to be interesting if, if, you know, the other two California teams have to move. But you're the first one that pointed this out. I remember the day the schedule came out, you said, hey, let's look at schedules and see where stadiums are available for the three California teams, because at that point in this COVID mess, it appeared that those teams may have to start the season outside of California. And, of course, they didn't. But now the 49ers have gone outside, and these other two, two teams may have to. And it looks like it could be Dallas for the Rams if they have to go and, and Las Vegas for the Chargers if they have to go. But you were on this from, from day one saying this might be a possibility for those three California teams. Well, because California had reacted the most aggressively at that time, and that was the place where we thought it could happen. And Arizona jumped off the page. All you had to do was cross-reference the schedules, and there it is, San Francisco, Arizona. They can play all their games there, and there's never a conflict. There would be a conflict next weekend if the Chargers had to go to Las Vegas for their Week 14 game, but you just move somebody in until the next day. We've seen doubleheaders on Mondays. That wouldn't be a big deal. Easily accomplished. The Rams and the Cowboys, no conflicts the rest of the season. They would have had something maybe week three. Obviously, that's not relevant now. And you know what Jerry Jones is going to say to the opportunity to throw the doors open to AT&T Stadium and have 30,000 people show up, and they probably could find 30,000 Rams fans in and around Dallas to come to a game, and it would be kind of different, and it's an occasion to get out and do things. And, you know, this is part of what we're living in now, this duality where there are people who would, would flock to an opportunity to see the Rams play anyone, even if it's not the Cowboys. Yeah, that's what I would be interested to see, Mike. I was going to say that. Do, the, do they throw the doors open and put the fans in the stands, which the Rams haven't had at their home games this season? That would be a little different for the Rams to have fans there probably rooting for them, maybe rooting against them too. Who knows? Because it's obviously a lot of people aren't going to fly in from Los Angeles to go 
uh, go to those games. But it would be interesting. Line Jerry's pockets maybe a little bit more help with some of the financial losses that he and every other owner is going to have this season. It's not going to make much of a dent. But it would be interesting if they open the doors uh, to the Rams games here. And Jerry declared not long ago, of course, with absolutely no proof whatsoever. But what does that matter in today's world? (laughs) That that no one has gotten COVID-19 by going to a Cowboys game. Good luck proving him otherwise. All right. uh, The team that was at the heart of the COVID situation this week, the Baltimore Ravens, Lamar Jackson eligible to be activated on Sunday. That math works out. He tested positive last Thursday. It's 10 days, and he's got to be negative. He's got to stay negative, and he can come back and play. Although, I, you know what? I don't think – here's the thing. I don't, think you, I don't think you have to test negative per se. It's more about symptoms and passage of time because I don't think you do test negative once you've had it, and, and it may take longer than that. It gets complicated, and I'm not going to pretend to know the answer. The bottom line is he's eligible to come back on Sunday, and he's not a risk to transmit the disease to anyone else. And that's important because otherwise it would be Trace McSorley on Tuesday night for the Baltimore Ravens against the Dallas Cowboys because RG3 on uh, – is he on injured reserve or the COVID list? He's on, he's on injury reserve because he suffered that hamstring injury on Wednesday. So uh, they need Lamar Jackson or they're really in trouble. Yeah, it's Trace McSorley, and he is preparing to be the starter. He's obviously going to have to practice and is practicing as the team starter right now with Lamar Jackson out. What will be interesting, we remember Mike Cam Newton came back and, and played after his COVID case, and there seemed to be some cloudiness there with Cam Newton and Lamar Jackson hasn't practiced in a while. Has he thrown the ball in a while? We don't know that. And to just come back and throw him back in there, I know Dr. Alan Sills, the NFL's chief medical officer, talked about that acclimation period when players come back off the COVID list. And there is going to be really no acclimation period for Lamar Jackson. If he plays, they're going to have to throw him back in there if he plays. So that's going to be something we're going to have to watch and see if they actually start Trace McSorley because Lamar's not physically ready to go, even though he'll be on the roster and likely on the sideline uh, for that game. But they'll have a big decision to make with him with little practice time. A huge game for the Ravens, who are now 6-5 and five, a year after they went 14-2, and two, and they need to start winning some games, or they won't even make it to the postseason this year. And that would be quite all right with the Steelers, because if they would come across the Steelers again in January at relatively full strength, I think the Steelers would be in major trouble against the Baltimore Ravens. The Dolphins, not in trouble. They're at 7-4, and four, rebounding from a very bad start to the 2019 season. Brian Flores addressing the media today on the question of whether it will be Tua Tagovailoa or Ryan Fitzpatrick at quarterback on Sunday when the Dolphins play the Bengals. Here's Coach Flores. And anytime you're dealing with a, with a um, you know something that's bothering you, it, there is some some impact on all those things you mentioned, um, accuracy and velocity. Obviously, you know anytime you have a, a an issue on the hand, um, there's there's some impact. So. Um, yeah, obviously that that that's part of the evaluation, and you know, we'll go through it as a staff. Um, you know, we've pretty you know, gone through it, you know, really throughout the entire week, and uh, you know, both guys, both quarterbacks, have practiced. So, um, you know, we got to make a decision, and we'll make a decision um, here pretty soon. And, of course, Tua Tagovailoa has the left thumb injury. That's the throwing hand. Struck a helmet nine days ago. Didn't play against the Jets. And 
I've got no problem with this. The gamesmanship, the shell game, the who are you going to face, you'll find out on Sunday, even though it is the Bengals. You take advantage of anything that comes your way. And yes, you prefer to have your starting quarterback healthy, but if he's not, let's milk it for all it's worth and let's keep the opponent guessing. And Shireen, there still is the possibility that two is fine or close to fine, and this is just a way to let Ryan Fitzpatrick play and win games and position the Dolphins for the playoffs because they saw enough from two in three weeks to believe that Fitzpatrick, at least for now, is the better option. Not that they would ever say that, but that could be going on. And you were talking about that the other day, and you may be on to something. Yeah, yeah and that was my little conspiracy theory that, that maybe he is okay and ready to play. And there was a close-up of his hand that was posted today, and, and uh, Tua's hand was pretty well-wrapped there, and he was doing a handoff uh, with the hand pretty well wrapped, the thumb to protect the thumb. But, you know, they play Cincinnati. Hey, I'm getting the schedule right today. They play Cincinnati this week and <laughs> Kansas City next week. And it, as, you, as you've talked about, Mike, once you've put a, a high draft pick like that in the lineup, it's hard to pull him out. But when he's hurt, there is that excuse that he's hurt. And they can milk this for two weeks if they want. I don't think you can start Tua if he's okay and then come back and put Fitzpatrick in next week about against the Chiefs. But maybe you ride Ryan Fitzpatrick for the next two weeks against the Bengals and then against the Chiefs before you put Tua back in the lineup to close out the season. They're, they're really, you know, it, it's tough a little bit because they're in this playoff race and it's like, do you do you get to experience and really get ready for 2021? Or do you really go for the playoffs when Fitzpatrick probably is your best option when you go for the playoffs? So that's what they've got to decide. Maybe not the easiest of decisions, but maybe you put Tua back in there and maybe you make the playoffs anyway. I don't know. But I, I, am, I believe that they will play Ryan Fitzpatrick this week. I'm a firm believer, and I think Brian Flores agrees with this approach. You always put the best guy out there. You put the best 11 on the field. Your teams, your players know who the best guys are, and you get yourself into trouble from a credibility standpoint if you're doing anything other than playing the best players. We saw that last year when Josh Rosen was being right. evaluated, and at, at one point Flores said it's going to be Rosen as the starter the rest of the year. A week later, he was benched again, and I think Flores knows – They've got to win football games, and that's the key. Establishing a winning culture. Worry about next year when next year comes. For now, take advantage of a rare opportunity for the Miami Dolphins to be in the playoff conversation, and indeed, they are. The Giants in the playoff conversation, but not for a wild card. They happen to be in the worst division in football, and they are in position to win the NFC East. They have to go to Seattle this weekend. Daniel Jones listed as doubtful with a hamstring injury. We don't see doubtful get used as much as it could. If people really wanted to play games, you could go doubtful from time to time and still let the guy play. The one time I remember that happening in the past 10 years was Jason Witten when he had a spleen issue. He was listed as doubtful for the regular season opener against the Giants and still played. Usually doubtful means no. And what will happen tomorrow If Daniel Jones definitely isn't playing, he won't make the trip to Seattle. He'll be downgraded at some point from doubtful to out, and then we'll know it's Colt McCoy, the fourth-best quarterback in the NFC East right now, although maybe fifth if we see what Jalen Hurts can do. I don't believe that the Giants would win with Daniel Jones in Seattle. I definitely don't believe they'd win with Colt McCoy. I think this is about getting McCoy some reps in the event that Jones is out for a while and they need McCoy in some more winnable games later down the stretch. 
Yeah, two things, Mike. They're going to circumvent that thing Joe Judge said today that, that Daniel Jones is going to make the trip, so they're not going to downgrade Daniel Jones tomorrow. They're going to keep the guessing game going all the way till Sunday. But I don't think he plays. I think doubtful in this case means doubtful. They're not, as you said, none of us think they're going to win this game on Sunday anyway. I'm sure Joe Judge, he wants to win this game, but his heart of hearts knows that this is going to be an uphill battle to win this game. You start Colt McCoy. You give Daniel Jones another week to recover from that hamstring injury, and you hope that he can play the next week. He was playing pretty good, Mike, over the last three weeks in this three-game three running streak, and he's not turning the ball over, and he's doing some really good things. But you and I both agreed. I don't know that there's a whole lot of difference between Colt McCoy and Daniel Jones right now. Another quarterback whose status for Sunday is in question, Cam Newton, the Patriots starter, questionable with an abdomen injury. And the Patriots are one of the ones who will liberally use questionable and then <laughs> downgrade a guy to out when he doesn't make the trip. But here's the problem. And I guess they could send him out separately, but they're going to California for five days. They play the Chargers on Sunday at SoFi Stadium. They play the Rams on Thursday night, assuming that game isn't involuntarily relocated but I have a feeling Newton's going to make the trip even if he may not play on Sunday because they're going to want him out there with the team because they're sticking around for the week but they've been very cagey they've been very coy that's what Belichick does that's what Joe Judge is doing he comes from the Belichick tree and we'll just see if it's Cam Newton but as the Patriots are building some momentum even though Newton's numbers were far from spectacular last weekend against the Cardinals they have a much better chance to get to the postseason and be successful in the postseason if they have a healthy Cam Newton. Let's take a quick look at what the Patriots have coming up here. I mentioned the back-to-back games in Los Angeles, Shereen. After that, it's Dolphins, Bills, Jets, a tour of the AFC East. That used to be a much easier path for the Patriots. And, you know, in recent years, they do that late-season AFC East tour and they'd lose a game or two and screw up their seeding. This year, it could screw up their ability to get into the postseason at all. Yeah, we saw that last year, Mike, in that Week 17 game. They had the home field bye basically wrapped up. They just had to beat the Dolphins, who last year weren't the same team that they are this year, and they couldn't win that game, and that opened the door for Kansas City. I don't know if Kansas City would have made the Super Bowl without that game. The Patriots lost the Dolphins last year. So you're right. They, they generally have one dud there at the end of the season. And this year, they're going to have to sweep those teams probably to have a chance to go to the playoffs. Yeah, when you think down 24 to the Texans in the division round, down 10 twice in the first half to the Titans in the championship game, down 10 with seven minutes left to the 49ers in the Super Bowl, you throw another game on that, another opportunity to fall behind and maybe not come back, could have been a different champion altogether last year. All right, let's take a break. When we return, what we can't wait to see as week 13 is upon us. We'll do that when this Friday edition of PFTPM continues right after this. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway. 
and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Aaron, are you seeing anything different on film that Kyler is able to do this season that he wasn't able to do last season? You can just say he's playing more confident, um, feeling a little, more, a little bit more comfortable being in his second year. So uh, he's playing better football than he was last year. So um, And he got some good guys around him that's helping him as well. So, um, you know, we got our hands full, but, you know, we prepare for the challenge. He'll be ready. Aaron Donald talking about facing Kyler Murray this weekend. They play each other twice down the stretch, week 13 and week 17. Time now, Shireen, for what we can't wait to see in the weekend to come. As always, I'll give you the first crack. What is it that you cannot wait to see this weekend? Well, it's in that game, Mike, and it's is Kyler Murray's right shoulder better. And I know what they've said. We didn't adjust anything, blah, 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 blah. But you look at his carries. Over the four-game stretch before the last two games, when he ended and when he injured his shoulders, and he averaged 12 carries and 77 yards a game rushing. The last two games total, 10 carries, 46 yards. They had that big fourth and one last week, and they didn't pick it up. And he wasn't the guy running the football. And I think that he, they were trying to protect that right shoulder. But he had a full practice yesterday, which is one day earlier than last week that he had a full. Uh, practice but I'll say this you also look at DeAndre Hopkins and what he's done over their three losses he three catches for 30 yards five catches for 51 yards five catches for 55 yards zero touchdowns three of the last four games if it wasn't for that Hail Murray we'd be talking about the Cardinals going 0-4 in their last four games they've got to get DeAndre Hopkins more involved and they got to hope that Kyler's shoulder is fully healed and he's ready to go and good luck this week getting DeAndre Hopkins involved with Jalen Ramsey That's facing right. Hopkins, a reunion of their twice-per-year meetings when Ramsey was with the Jaguars and Hopkins was with the Texans. And it's late in the year for it to be the first time they play. We will get to see it twice. And the Rams need this game not quite as badly as the Cardinals, but if they lose and they're both 7-5, and five, that throws both of those teams kind of into the what's going to happen, how's it going to break the rest of the way. But if the Cardinals lose, they really have to be concerned about not making it to the playoffs at all when it looked for a while like they were definitely going to get there. It looks like the Browns are definitely going to get to the postseason. If they keep winning the games, they should win. They'll at least be 10-6. and six. That should be good enough to get the 6th seed or the 7th seed in the AFC. But I can't wait to see whether or not the Browns can compete against a good team. They faced the Ravens week one. They lost 38-6. to They faced the Steelers. They lost 38-7. to They had a game against the Raiders who are kind of up and down, and maybe the Browns could have won that game. They lost 16-6 to and didn't do much of anything offensively. The only good team they've beaten this year is the Indianapolis Colts, and at the time it wasn't clear that the Colts had declared themselves a good team. 
We know the Titans are a good team. The Titans are rolling. They're riding Derrick Henry. Their defense isn't great, but it's good enough. And I think the challenge is, can that Browns offense establish itself? Can Baker Mayfield get going? Can the Browns just avoid getting blown off the field? I think it would be, and they say there's no moral victories in sports. I say baloney. If they can at least play the Titans close, that may give them a little lift going into the Browns game next week. And, or the Ravens game, excuse me. And maybe they can beat the Ravens next week if they convince themselves they can play with the Titans. The best-case scenario is beating the Titans. But at a minimum, at a minimum for the Browns' sake, they need to be competitive in one of these games or they have no chance in the postseason. Yeah, they've got a tough schedule finishing up. I think it was the second-hardest schedule or the second-hardest schedule among teams that are still in the, in the playoff race. And you talked about that indie game. That's the only game they've beaten with the team with the uh, winning record. And that was in week five, 32-23. It was pretty impressive. But you also look, Mike, one thing I always look at is point differential. This is a team that is minus 21 in point differential. By comparison, the Steelers are plus 129. The Ravens are plus 68. And they've got to do better than that. They need to play better. They've been blown out, as you said, in in big games that they have, especially these divisional games. Baker has not played well. Even though they've won lately, he has two touchdowns in the past four games. And I realize this is a team that's built on the run, but they've got to be better in the passing game and do more in the passing game when they need to, especially this week if they're going to have a chance to win. Baker Mayfield really does remind me of Kirk Cousins in that he can run the play that's called as long as it works. When it falls apart, he can't improvise. He can't make it happen. When there's someone in his face, he doesn't have the mobility to run away from him and extend the play and find somebody open down the field, and that could be the thing that ultimately holds the Browns back. All right, Shereen, what's next on your list of things you can't wait to see? Well, you know, it does look like the Browns are going to have 2,000-yard rushers, but I want to see what Derrick Henry, the best running back in the NFL, who's leading the NFL in rushing – what he can do this week against the top 10 rushing defense. And that's what uh, the Browns are. And they have Miles Garrett back in there. And so this is going to be a tough game probably for, for Derrick Henry. But, you know, he's had three consecutive games now with over 100 yards, 103, 133, and 178. He leads the league. He's running away with the rushing title over Dalvin Cook. And he needs to average, Mike, 148.6 yards over the rest of the season, five more games, to hit that magical 2,000 yards. And if he gets the 2,000 yards, I think it's safe to say he's probably going to win the the Offensive Player of the Year award, but I think we're also going to put him a little bit in that MVP conversation. I think Mahomes probably is going to run away and win that thing. But we do need to at least be mentioning his name in that, the way the Titans are winning, because they're winning because of Derrick Henry. His odds are improving week by week in the points bet MVP race, and we have a post at PFT if you want to see the full breakdown of all the odds. But he's still a long shot because it's become a quarterback award, and Patrick Mahomes right now is minus 400. The only candidate in minus territory for the betting proposition means you got to bet 400 to win a mere 100. But if Henry – and look – We've seen this guy have big games. He's capable of rattling off 150 a week. He's capable of rattling off 170 a week. And it doesn't take much more beyond 2,000 and the average over the last five weeks to get to 2,000 to get to 2,105. Is that the magic number, Eric Dickerson? The record that Adrian Peterson almost broke eight years ago. And Adrian Peterson made the big run Late in the year, toppled Peyton Manning as MVP, 
He was relegated to comeback player of the year because that was his first year back after the lost season with the four neck surgeries. But if Derrick Henry comes close to the single-season rushing record, that MVP vote is going to be a tough one, and uh, Henry is capable of doing it. And tomorrow against Chubb and Hunt, uh, that gives him a chance to show he's better than both of them combined. And speaking of Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, let's hear from the current rushing leader on the two-headed monster that the Browns have at tailback. Um, Kareem, he's a great back. Um, good out of the backfield receiving. Um, you know, one of the best duels in the game, if not the best. Um, guys are ballers. Um, Chubb just picking off. I already, le- I already left off. And I think if, you know, if he didn't get hurt, he'll probably be in the top two or three, you know, for rushing yards. But those guys are doing a great job, great runners. Um, Great athletes, and um, it's going to be a good matchup against those guys. Yeah, it was Chubb and Henry last year that were in competition for the rushing crown. Chubb injured this year, missing some time, and there's Derrick Henry. 114.3 rush yards per game. His touches were down for a while. The Titans have recognized their best chance comes from using him and using him and using him. They paid him, and he's earning his money. And if they want to have uh, a home game in the playoffs, the two seed or the three seed, they need to just keep winning football games. And the best way to do it is with him running the ball. The Lions could use a win. They're four and seven. The next thing on my list, Shireen, can Daryl Bevel, the interim head coach for the Detroit Lions, give the team a lift? We see it from time to time. I call it the artificial interim head coaching bump where players buckle down and play hard because they think, hey, you know what? It's better for the interim guy to get the job. Then we don't have to worry about some new coach running all of us off. Let's play really hard for the interim coach down the stretch. And as Peter King and I discussed yesterday, and I've mentioned this a few times this week, there is a ding-dong, the witch is dead element for the Lions with Matt Patricia gone. It sounds like he didn't have a lot of friends in the locker room that may give the lions an extra little breath of fresh air and maybe daryl bevel can can uh, do something with his first opportunity in a long coaching career to be the head coach yeah you know we've seen it mike that artificial bump with the texans romeo cornell has gone four and three we've seen it with the falcons raheem morse has gone four and two so those guys have gotten it done and you may see the same thing with detroit now i think the texans and Falcons probably are slightly more talented than than Detroit is with Matthew Stafford struggling a little bit and still injured, still a little banged up. But the Lions have a chance to do that. And Daryl Bevel has talked about this kind of being a five-game audition for him. He wants to become an NFL head coach. And if he does a good job, the Lions are probably going to consider him for the job, whether he gets it or not. Is going to be incumbent on what the who they hire as general manager and what he decides to do. But I think he will have a chance, just like we're talking about Raheem Morris and Romeo Cornell having a chance. Whether they get them or not, it's a different thing. They're going to be candidates for those jobs now with what they've done with those teams. And the Lions aren't done yet. They could finish 9-7, and seven, although I'm not sure 9-7 and seven will be good enough to get one of the top seven spots because it is top-heavy this year in the NFC, and there could be several teams with 10 wins, and maybe 10 wins won't get one of these teams in. But there are the Lions down the stretch. It's not easy, though. Packers, Titans, Buccaneers, Vikings after the Bears this weekend. If, if they win three at least of the final five games, Daryl Bevel will have been doing something right. All right, Shereen, next on your list of things you can't wait to see. Well, I want to see, and it's a Monday game, but can the Bills stop a Hail Mary? 
because we haven't seen that the last two games. They had a buy-in there, but they're going back to the site of the Hail Murray when they should have won that game, when they should have had a five-game winning streak. That's the only loss they've had in there. And then they come back against the Chargers, and what do they do? They give up a Hail Mary at the end of that game, 50-some-odd yards. And fortunately for them, he didn't get the end zone, and they had a two-score lead and all of that. But they got to figure out how to stop a Hail Mary because they haven't done it the last two games. And I guarantee you they spent a lot of time working on that this week, Mike, probably more than you normally would. It's a fascinating game on Monday night because the 49ers are finding ways to win, and now they have unusual circumstances as they're bubbled up in Arizona. I still think that there are other coaches that are envious of the fact that Kyle Shanahan is able to keep all of his guys in a hotel. They'd all love to keep their guys in a hotel, even if it means living away from their home area, and that's where the 49ers will be. And uh, we'll see if the Bills can stop a Hail Mary or, more importantly, pick up a win against a team that is better than we thought it was going to be based on all those injuries we saw earlier this year. The Eagles last year went to Lambeau Field and won. It was the only home game that the Packers lost in the first year with Matt LaFleur as the head coach at Lambeau Field. This year, the Eagles go back. It feels like it wasn't a year ago, but a decade ago, if not longer, that the Eagles went there and won. I want to know how much Jalen Hurts we're going to see. You get the impression there's tension in the building as to whether and to what extent Carson Wentz will be put on the sidelines so that Jalen Hurts can play. Here's Doug Peterson from today and it it just seems like there's a gradual acknowledgement of reality Doug Peterson not calling all the plays and now Doug Peterson being a little more candid with the reality that Carson Wentz isn't playing as well as he needs to and needs to play better here's Peterson from today Doug on the uh the the play calling front um sounds like you have already been doling out some some play calling responsibilities can you kind of take us into what you have been doing and, and what the plan is for for this Sunday I really don't want to take you into why uh, I'm doing that. It's, it's I don't want to give a lot, you know, out to our opponents and, and really kind of spill any kind of beans there. So um, I've uh, I've told you guys before that everything is on the table, um, and you know uh, it'll be my decision moving forward as if if we continue down this path. Um, if I divvy it up, you know, uh, you guys have always said this. I've said this before that. Our process on offense is a very collaborative one. Um, as far as game planning goes, all the coaches, all the position coaches have uh, a lot of input into uh, the the scheme each week. And um, and then it's ultimately my my decision as to, you know, calling the plays or if uh, if I give that up. That's Peterson on whether to what extent he'll be calling plays. He separately acknowledged that Wentz needs to play better, and he does. And Peterson needs to do better. And the storm clouds just gather around this guy who has taken the team to the playoffs three straight years, won a Super Bowl, almost got back to the final eight with Nick Foles the second time around, and were five and seven last year, won four in a row to get to the postseason. It really is amazing to me that there's this building sense that Jeffrey Lurie could fire Doug Peterson after the season. I don't see it especially because whoever would come in next year, Shireen is going to be stuck with Carson Wentz for at least one season at $25 million in cash and a higher cap number under a $175 million total salary cap situation. So I think that the best move is just give everybody one more year, put everybody on notice, and if it doesn't work next year, that's when you press the reset button. 
Yeah, Carson, they're stuck with Carson Wentz, but that doesn't mean he has to be their starting quarterback. That could be Jalen Hurts. Mike, to me, it just seems like they have no plan for Jalen Hurts. It's, it's crazy. You know, we sat here on Monday and you said the over-under for touches on Jalen Hurts is 9.5, and I went with 10. I, I thought they would give him more snaps than that. They didn't. He had two snaps, and the most he's had this season is seven against the Ravens. In, in week six, and, you know, give the guy a chance. Carson Wentz leads the league in sacks. This guy is mobile. He is three for three for 33 yards passing. He's run the ball 12 times. He's caught one pass. Have some sort of a plan to get him in the game and use that mobility that Carson Wentz doesn't have. We know how bad your offensive line is. Figure out a way to play him. Sean Payton would figure out a way to get Jalen Hurts in the game without stopping that momentum. And they're just pulling him in and and pulling him out. And, okay, you've had your two snaps. It didn't work out. We only got three or four yards. We're going back to Carson. Why? I I just – I don't understand what they're doing, and I don't think they understand what they're doing. And, Shereen, that tells me it's not a priority for the head coach because it's very easy if there's something you don't want to do – Once you are in the moment and you're calling plays and you're managing a football game, the things that aren't priorities to you get pushed aside. And the next thing you know, the game's over and, oh, well, I didn't use Jalen Hurts as much as somebody in the organization wanted me to. And it sounds like Peterson has been told that he'd better make it a priority. So we'll see how much Jalen Hurts plays. One more real quick from each of us, Shereen. What's uh, another thing that you can't wait to see? Well, I'm going to go, does the entire NFC East lose this week, Mike? Because it's Washington and Pittsburgh, Dallas and Baltimore, Giants, Seattle, and Eagles, Packers. I'm going to give the Cowboys the best chance to win, although I'm not, think I'm, I don't think I'm going to give them a ton of chance to win, but I do give them a little bit of a chance to win. But I could see this division winner, Mike, having six wins. You know, and if the other three lose before Tuesday – what an intriguing game that becomes on Tuesday night because it could be four and eight, yeah. four and eight, four and eight, and three, eight, and one as the teams in the NFC East go. And yes, one of them will make it to the playoffs and host a playoff game. The New Orleans Saints destined to make it to the playoffs. The question is, will they be the number one seed? The other question is, how much longer will Drew Brees be out? He'll miss this weekend against the Falcons, rematch from two weeks ago. I want to see what the Falcons will do based on what they've seen from Hill, will they take away that run? Will they clog those lanes and force Taysom Hill to throw? And if they force him to throw, will he throw? Will he throw well? Will he throw it down the field? Will he throw it accurately? Will this be an opportunity for him to build confidence as a passer because the Falcons take away what he does best as a runner? That's going to be fascinating. The Falcons not dead yet from the standpoint of, who knows, they make it to the playoffs. I think it's a very long shot, but at the same time, Raheem Morris trying to earn that job and beating the Saints would go a long way toward doing so. All right, let's take a break. Mailbag time when this Friday edition of PFTPM continues right after this. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. 
The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. So before we go open up the questions, I'll just explain this ridiculous outfit I'm wearing. This is this is the consequence of losing a bet on a rivalry game with Evan Ingram. So otherwise, he was walking around with a cowbell all week. So you know, it was one or the other. Joe Judge, Mississippi State guy, Evan Ingram, Mississippi guy, Mississippi State beat. No, Ole Miss beat Mississippi State, excuse me, so that's why Joe Judge had to wear that ridiculous outfit, at least in his estimation. Question time, a Red Zone Alk, a friend of ours from across the Atlantic Ocean who has been asking great questions for years now. If you're Matthew Stafford, do you hope and deserve to be set free from Detroit? Shereen, your thoughts? Well... Mike, you and I remember the curse of Bobby Lane, right? And it's supposedly done because the curse supposedly was only supposed to last 50 years. But this curse continues for the Detroit Lions. They have won one playoff game since that 1957 NFL championship. They have longed for the days of Bobby Lane, and and they haven't had it. So it is a graveyard of quarterbacks. And Matthew Stafford, I am positive, would welcome a change, a move outside of Detroit, somewhere else where he has a chance to succeed, such that Bobby Bobby Lane got traded away. And so, yeah, I think he would welcome that. I don't know if that's going to happen. We know the cap hit and everything else that goes into that. But as a quarterback in Detroit, it just has not worked out for any of those quarterbacks since Bobby Lane. We know his wife would probably like to leave Michigan, that's for damn sure, as it relates to Matthew (laughs) Stafford, though, when you've been with that team since 2009. And I remember when they drafted him, like, hey, the 50 years has expired, and Bobby Lane and Matthew Stafford went to the same high school. There's a poetry and a symmetry to it, and the Lions are finally going to turn around. And they have been to the playoffs a few times, but they still haven't won a playoff game. It's gotten so bad that in... 2016, they commemorated the 25th anniversary of their last playoff win. That is not something you want to be drawing attention to, Detroit Lions. So I, 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 if I'm Stafford, I'm ready to move on. I don't know who's going to want him, though, because good we've seen him long enough. And I, there, there's just, you know, I've, I used to call him a reluctant franchise quarterback. He didn't want all the trappings of being a franchise quarterback. He doesn't want to be a leader. He doesn't want to be the hard ass. He doesn't want to be the guy who demands, in a Peyton Manning, Tom Brady type way, that his teammates step up and do what they're supposed to do. He's never seemed like that guy. I just don't know who's going to want him at this point. It could be a bridge situation, Mike. Maybe it's one of these teams that that drafts a quarterback high and needs a bridge quarterback. Colts didn't draft a guy high, but they needed a bridge quarterback, and they they signed Phillip Rivers to be that guy. We know the Patriots signed Cam Newton as a bridge quarterback. I see him as a bridge quarterback somewhere, but nowhere long-term unless it just happens that he gets that second chance and it happens to work out there. 
He could be the next bridge in Indianapolis if they decide not to extend their relationship with Philip Rivers a second year. He's a lot younger than Philip Rivers. All right, next question. Champ Biden, after Tampa Bay put together an all-star team and is just slightly above average this year, they're 7-5 and five and they're on a bye this weekend, does Jameis Winston's stock rise as he goes into a free agent year? You know, it helped Teddy Bridgewater to start five games last year and win them all to get a $22 million a year deal on a three-year contract from the Panthers. What does happen with Jameis Winston after a year with Sean Payton, given that when Drew Brees got hurt this year, it was Taysom Hill, not Jameis Winston, but when you consider the dysfunction with the Bucks, do we look at Jameis Winston more favorably next year? Well, you remember two years ago, Mike, we all thought Teddy Bridgewater was going to leave and go somewhere else, right? And it's not like he got a, a ton of great offers, like he got no starting offers. So he returned to New Orleans. They convinced him to return to New Orleans as a backup quarterback. I could see that happening with Jameis Winston, especially with the way Taysom Hill has thrown the ball Sean Payton is brilliant, and I've said that repeatedly. He went 5-0 and last season with a backup quarterback, 2-0 and this season, so 7-0 and with, with a backup quarterback that's not named Drew Brees. Drew Brees retires. I could see Taysom Hill and Jameis Winston both playing next year for, for the Saints in some capacity, however they, they framework that offense. But he could figure out some way to get both of those quarterbacks on the field. And I don't know what Sean Payton thinks of Jameis Winston, but I could see that as being a reality. I just don't know that Jameis Winston's going to get a chance to go anywhere and start. So if he's not going to get a chance to start, why wouldn't you return and stay with Sean Payton? And the physicality with which Taysom Hill plays suggests at some point he may get injured, which would give Winston an opportunity to play next year if Hill is the starter, assuming Drew Brees retires. Niners Forever 16 asks... Robert Sala, the 49ers defensive coordinator, to Detroit as head coach. Good choice or no? Sala, a Michigan native. Last year, a much hotter candidate because the team was better. I don't like that element of this. He's a hot candidate because the team is good. This year, the team's struggling, so he's not a hot candidate. Well, you know, now that they're winning some games and their defense is playing well, all of a sudden he's a good coach again. That's just how it goes. And I think he will be on the list again this year. The question is... Will he get hired? And also, will he be available sooner rather than later? That's one of the realities of being with a team that makes it to the Super Bowl. You're not available to be hired until uh, after other teams would, would like to fill their vacancies. Well, believe it or not, Mike, Michigan legislators, you would think they would have more to worry about with COVID going on, but they have written a letter to the Lions recommending Robert Sala for the job in Detroit. And he is a Michigan native and he went to a Northern Michigan University. And so I know that's who they want, but you know, it's going to be up to the new GM who he hires. And, and I would assume that Robert Sala will get a lot of interviews everywhere around the league for what he's done with the 49ers. He's done an excellent job. Was there a PS on the letter, get rid of Matthew Stafford? Uh, (laughs) I would assume that the powers that be at Michigan may. Not because of Matthew, though, but that's okay. That's okay. Everyone's exercising their free speech rights. No problem with that. All right. uh, Real quickly, Jaguars GB, what direction do the Jags go in regards to their GM situation? Experienced head that knows how to go about things or a young prospect to take the franchise in the right direction? One thing I've noticed about general managers in recent years, Shireen, it's not like recycled coaches. You get your shot, and then that's it. And typically, teams look for the ascending general manager, not the person who's getting the second or third bite at the apple. That's just kind of the way it's gone. Yeah, and I like that, Mike. I I think you should give somebody a a chance who hasn't had it before. And there's so many names out there that are – Guys that are, you know, would relish that opportunity to get that job. And 
you know, I talked the other day. I think this is, the, to me, the best GM opening of football. You think it's Houston because of Deshaun Watson. I get that. They have the established quarterback. But if you go in Jacksonville, you have a chance to draft your quarterback. And you're probably going to end up with Justin Fields. And you have two first-round picks, two second-round picks, two fourth-round picks. You have a ton of cap space, third most right now in the NFL projected for next season. So you've got a lot of things working for you to go into Jacksonville. I think it's a great opening. I think you have a chance with a very patient owner to get something done there. I just want to know that I'm fully in charge and I don't have to worry about being kneecapped for like a Tom Coughlin who came in as the boss over everyone a few years ago. I want to be trusted by the owner to turn this thing around and have the owner and his son step out of the way and let me take this thing over. All right, let's take a break. When we return, which team is most desperate this weekend to get a win? We'll give you our picks when PFTPM continues right after this. All right, Friday edition of PFTPM wrapping up with this question. Shireen, I'll let you go first. Which team of the 30 playing this weekend most desperately needs a win? Gosh, there's so many, Mike. You know, you could pick five or six of them. I narrowed it down to two, and that was the Patriots and the Ravens. And I'm going to go with the Ravens because they're six and five. They should beat the Cowboys, but we know all the COVID issues they've had. We don't know if they're going to have Lamar Jackson. We know they're not going to have RG3. This is a team, Mike, that was the AFC Best team in the AFC in the regular season last year. They went 14-2. They had the MVP, and they're just not the same team this year. But if they want to stay in the playoff race, they have to beat the Cowboys. I'm going to say the Raiders. After being embarrassed last weekend, 43-6 by the Falcons, coming off of the game that they almost won against the Chiefs, if they go to MetLife Stadium against the Jets, who blew them out last year, if they lose to the Jets, the Oh, and 11 Jets. The <laughs> no, Raiders are done. Happen. It's over. It's over. Matthew Stafford may be the Raiders quarterback next year if Derek Carr loses to the <laughs> Jets on Sunday. And I'm only partially kidding about that. All right. Enjoy the games on Sunday. Football Night in America at 7 p.m. Eastern on NBC, followed by Broncos Chiefs. We'll have you covered all weekend long at ProFootballTalk.com. See you back here on Monday. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.